Welcome to the Good Old Days Podcast. I am Maggie Coomer. And I'm Jasmine Brand. And it's that time again. It's Saturday morning, which means it's time for another mini episode from the Good Old Days Podcast. Jasmine has found a a really nifty story she's going to tell me this week. Uh, Jasmine, what are you talking about today? So I'm going to cover a mystery for you. Oh, man, I love a good mystery. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let me have it. Okay. And I think this is particularly interesting because I reckon you and most, if not all of our listeners, have encountered this mystery probably unknowingly at some point in their lives. So that makes it a little bit more interesting. Cool. Shared experience. Exactly. So we're going to take this all the way from the start. So we have to go back to the late 1880s in Paris is where we're starting off. And a long, young long woman. time ago. Sorry, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, and <laughs> I mean, what's I going totally on messed in you up. 1880s? <laughs> no, no, you're fine. <laughs> okay. So we're going to go back to the 1880s in Paris. And unfortunately, this mystery starts with a young woman being pulled out of the Seine, the river that runs through Paris near the Louvre. And during this time, just kind of a quick refresher for our listeners, Maggie covered a lot of this period known as the Belle Epoque in our first ever episode about Blanche Monnier. So little blast from our not so distant past. Um, but <laughs> as a reminder, this is when they're kind of like gearing up for the world's exposition. So the Eiffel Tower is being built. Sacré-Cœur, which is my favorite place ever, is being built. Um, The population of Paris is going up. There's still a lot of political unrest and battle between church and state. So to set a little bit of the scene in which this woman is being found. And immediately, no one can identify her. They don't even know where she's come from. Right? So they've, like, spotted her. So she's just a a Jane Doe. Yes, exactly. So they pulled her out of the river, take her to the local mortician and morgue, and try and start the process of identifying her and what happened to her. And to do this, they do what was pretty typical of the time. They put her on display. So before photography is a big thing, they would put ads out in the newspaper, sell people where she was found, roughly how old they thought she was, which no one could really identify because at that point she'd been in the water a little while, but they thought she was about 16. And for whatever reason, they thought she was German too, but they don't indicate why they think that. Question. Mm -hmm. Where did they display her? Did they just put her on the floor at like the police station? Like come on in and check her out? So they actually had her on display at the morgue near the Louvre. Ah, okay. So um, if you think they had her in like a coffin with her head propped up and her oh. body covered. So just like with the Triangle Factory fire, they lined them up on the sidewalk in their coffins with their head propped up. Okay. 
Yeah, exactly like that. So common practice. This isn't anything unusual. People could visit the morgue. And because there's like an element of mystery in this, a lot of people go to see if they know who this this young woman, this girl is. No one can identify her, though. I mean, hundreds of people come through. No one know who she, knows anything about her, knows who she is, can't give the police anything to go off of. So what do you do? Because this is before you know, embalming was common. So they can't do that and preserve her and maybe catch the off chance of someone else coming in at a later time and identifying her. And as the story goes as well, and I think this adds a little bit to the... The mystique. uh, the, The legend that becomes this unknown woman is that the mortician was just so taken with her face that he wanted to make a death mask. Yeah, it's a little creepy. (laughs) (laughs) You can see my face right now. (laughs) Yeah, so taken with this, like, woman's face, he wants to make a death mask. But in reality, it's probably more so it preserved her image and gave people a longer chance to, like, identify her. He's going to make this death mask and it's going to go on display in various different places in Paris. And and can you explain for maybe our, our listeners who are not as well versed in what a death mask is? What is a death mask exactly? He basically makes a plaster mold of her face. And this this was really common for, you know, people who wanted to essentially remember their loved ones like before photographs, you know, paintings were very expensive. So a lot of people would just have a a quick plaster cast taken of a loved one's face before they were, you know, laid to rest. Yeah, absolutely. So he has this made. And actually, I'm gonna, I want to show it to you. I sent you a, a chat. Oh, so that's, that's the mask that is made and displayed everywhere. Okay. So he, like, they made it into a, a sculpture? Yeah, it becomes this art piece. Wow. That okay. is, and, you know, no one can identify her, but it becomes really popular. She becomes known as the drowned Mona Lisa because she's got this kind of not quite smile on her face. And you can see how he's done her hair. So it's got that parting down the middle and yeah, she just kind of looks very serene, I think. I don't know. What do you what do you think of this death mask? I mean, it looks like a woman who's in church praying with her eyes closed. That's what it looks like. So very she looks very angelic, very pure. Just, you know, the what you would expect a typical the the pinnacle of female beauty in the late 1800s, you know, delicate features, a uh, little button nose, just a, a hint of a smile. So, yeah, that, that that's very striking. It's striking. It is. And that's interesting that you said it that way, because women start modeling themselves after this death mask, as weird as that is. So they start copying her hairstyle and trying to portray that like angelic, peaceful, you know, kind of coy mysterious woman which is yeah okay strange but sure you know um i even read one source that <laughs> cited this as the first potential meme in a, in a way i guess i don't know <laughs> <laughs> okay i don't know what i think about that but anyway <laughs> just making it relevant making it yeah. relevant <laughs> so, you know, she, according to at least one historian was the first ever meme um 
<laughs> so this death mask, you know, becomes an art piece and you start to see it pop up in souvenir shops. So I don't know if you've ever been to Paris. Have you ever been to Paris? I have been to Paris a long, long time ago. A long, long time ago. I was like 13. So I did not notice this. I did not notice her in any of the gift shops. At least, I, you know, I don't think it did. Yeah. She's not in many anymore, but you you know the kind of gift shops I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. You like have the little Eiffel Tower things oh, and like snow caps and I had a beret with like a little Eiffel Tower on it that I would I wore around and thought I was so cool. <laughs> it's good that I was just thirteen, you know, because people were people were kinder than they would be if I was wearing that thing now. <laughs> I love that. Do you still have it? Uh, I'm sure it's somewhere in a little box. It was a little white beret. I was like, Paris. My dad had one and it, <laughs> but it was like a Tam, you know, but it, it, you know, those, it's like almost like a backwards Tam. So it's almost flat against your forehead and it has a little, a little tail that sticks out, you know, it's just like a flat hat. And his said Paris across the forehead. And my mother was like, I'm not walking with you <laughs> if you wear that. <laughs> I love uh, that. Good I times. That. Yeah. <laughs> think that kind of souvenir shop sure. it's being sold there and not just in Paris it, it kind of spreads out all throughout Europe and part of the reason for that is someone comes up with the idea that she's German I don't know where they get that from but anyway so her death mask like makes it all the way across Europe and then starts being like something you would have in your home and it was a talking point and that's that's it. Now, despite this going, like, all over the place, like, traveling thousands of miles, I don't even know how far. I mean, it could have gone anywhere, especially with the exposition and, like, 75 million people rocking up to Paris shortly after this takes place. So, but no one can identify her. So this death mask basically travels around Europe. Yes. Like, when they, they do traveling exhibits. I mean, is it just the coroner who's doing this or does he hand this over and it's the authorities who just take it around i I just want to understand the logistics of how you're going on tour with the death mask (laughs) so it starts with the the mortician goes to the police and then just like kind of normal people are making copies of this so it's not the one mask this is being replicated so people can purchase their own copy and keep it in their home okay did they like do so a little inscription on the back that was like, if you know who this is, write, you know, the police in Paris? I wonder if there's, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. That would have been smart, but I, I don't think so. I think it just becomes this like, look at this weird. It's a novelty head item that I have. Yeah, look at this weird <laughs> like head novel. that I have. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Not my kind of decor. It's art, okay? It's art. <laughs> it's <yes>. art. <laughs> so that's that's how it comes. So it and you could get it in like all different materials, and it was it was that novelty thing from the late 1880s. I'll take mine in plaid, please. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. If you think, I, I don't know, like, we, there was that trend of having all different busts a few years ago. In fact, I've seen it kind of come up again. It's like that. You can get yeah. them in all different colors, shapes, and materials. So it it is what it is. It's so weird. <laughs> so she becomes this like household name but she never gets a name so she people know who she is 
without actually knowing anything about her. But <clears throat> this becomes like really interesting to poets and novelists as well who can essentially write her whole story it makes her story more romantic so they like romanticize her death and like give her all of these different backstories and that kind of propels this desire to have this piece of like pop culture for the time it sounds like it sounds like she became like almost a writing prompt you know it was like create a backstory for this woman kind of sounds like people had some fun with it, you know? I mean, out of this tragic event. But yeah, so that's how she kind of makes her way through Europe. And that's that's pretty much it, at least until post-Second World War Norway, of all places. So we've shifted forward and shifted location. And a man by the name of, and I apologize for my Norwegian pronunciation, but um, Asmund Lederhall, and he is an inventor, shop owner, toy maker. He kind of does a little bit of everything in Norway post-war. And he opens up a shop, um, first doing like publishing in, in like the late uh, 1940s, but quickly moves into toy manufacturing. He has a, a son, at, at least, I don't know if he had any other kids, but a young son starts making wooden toys. And by the 1950s, when he's kind of hit his stride in his business, a new wonder material gets invented. Plastic. Plastic. There we go. Plastic. And he's going to start using a little bit of his inventor side to make all sorts of toys out of that. One I saw advertised was a car that didn't ruin your furniture. So a little plastic car that would scuff it up. <laughs> Thought that was interesting. And his most popular toy that he pioneered was a new type of doll. So made out of plastic. She had blinking eyes so you could put her to sleep. She had like lifelike hair. Wasn't as fragile as some of the more lifelike other, you know, the other dolls you could have that had lifelike features, but also was more lifelike than like a cloth doll. So becomes super popular, at least in Norway. I don't know how long it takes for her to make her way all around the rest of Europe. I mean, I had I had one of those yeah. dolls yeah, and they with the blinking her. eyes. I mean, I'm sure it was made by Fisher Price in the 90s, but same concept. <laughs> same concept. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> most of us have had those dolls, had siblings with those dolls. Um her name was Anne though. He decides to name her Anne and to get her face he returns to that death mask and the reason he uses that is because it was the art piece in his in-law's house and so he was very familiar with the face weird so Anne has the face of a woman from the 1880s in the 1950s which is yeah it's it's a weird thing brings her up into relevance i guess in this time and that's not it so the doll that you had probably didn't have Anne's face, but you have seen it because a few years later, later all is approached by the Norwegian civil defense to ask if he can make a mannequin for them. They're pioneering this new technique of CPR, but they don't have any way to practice it on like a non-person. And if you've ever done CPR training, you know that you probably are going to break some ribs of the person that you're performing it on. So not 
practical to practice it on each other. And he's really anxious to do this, really excited to do this, because it was pre-CPR, if I can call it that. It's before CPR has become like a thing that he is able to save his son, his own son, from drowning. So he goes to drown. He manages to clear his airways of water, get him breathing again. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I think this would be really useful for people. It could save a lot of lives. Definitely something similar saved his son, who was named Tor. And I again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But really excited to do this, decides to use the same face model. So makes his mannequin. And I'm sure you've seen a CPR mannequin. That's exactly what he's making. And he uses Anne's face. So the unknown woman from the 1880s is put on these these models. And she becomes known as Resusi Anne. And today is known as Rescue Annie or CPR Annie. She has the same face. So 60 years later, we're still using the same face that later I'll put on his mannequin. So if you've ever performed CPR on one of those dummies, taken a course, seen one of those, you've seen the death mask of the unknown woman from the Sen. In fact, today she's considered the most kissed face of all time. (laughs) (laughs) now that is a term of distinction i mean wow (laughs) wow that's amazing and all and and it's just some poor woman was murdered and thrown in a river and no one ever knew who she was and she will probably never be forgotten at least her face won't yeah yeah her face is incredible we're gonna see forever that's incredible and the fact that and what was his name again? <laughs> Sorry, I hate to. <laughs> Asmund Laterall. All right. So Asmund, I mean, the fact that he named the doll Annie and all of a sudden that, that name stuck with it. That's super interesting. I would love to know what happened to her. The real the real woman. I know. I would too. And I think it's such like a nice kind of coming full circle because she likely drowned they they never said if they found water in her in her stomach or air lungs or anything like that but she likely drowned and it, she's now being used to help i mean cpr isn't just used in drowning cases but help teach people how to help people if they see them in that situation yeah so she's saving lives i mean that's cool i think that's really neat if I were going to drown and no one knew who I was, I would love that for that to be my legacy, you know? I'm saving lives. Yeah. What are we, 120 years later? And one of the most recognizable faces. Yeah. I mean, yeah, working on 150 years. That's crazy. Good story, Jasmine. I liked it. Thanks. All right. Well... Folks, if you liked what you heard today, head to your favorite podcast platform, drop us a five-star review. Jasmine, what about social stuff? So socials, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and now TikTok. <laughs> yes. I'm Is that the in. song that you put on, on uh, behind the TikTok video? Mm-hmm. Is that from the Powderpuff Girls? It's some TikTok artist. I don't know. 
who calls herself Trap Bunny Bubbles. I don't know if she's taken that from the Powderpuff Girls. I don't really know. Because you remember, you remember Bubbles from the Powderpuff Girls, oh, yeah. the green one. Oh yeah, I yeah, loved yeah. the Powderpuff Girls. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought it was. I was like, wait a minute, with a live action Powderpuff Girls. Oh boo! I'm so sick of it. Stop! <laughs> Stop remaking the idea. amazing stuff from my childhood. I'm really tired of seeing everybody pervert the. <laughs> The originals. Stop. I know. know. Also, I realized when I said it's been 122 years, or 120 years, I'm still living in the year 2000, so. (laughs) So I was like, almost 50. Almost 150. No, that makes me old. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, we're about to wake up. No one actually made it through Y2K. (laughs) This is all some alternate reality. We're actually living the Matrix. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I'm still living in 2000, everyone. Um, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, all right. Find well, us this on is our gonna... socials <laughs> on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at the Good Old Days Pod, and Twitter at the Good OD Pod, or send us an email at the Good Old Days Pod at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, thank you all so much. We hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. And uh, reach out to us on social media if you have any episode suggestions. We'd love to hear from you. Bye. Bye. Bye.